Good to be here with you guys this, the end of our Sunday morning. Thanks for joining us. You know, there's nothing, no, uh, I couldn't think of a better message to give on Baby Dedication Day than a message about false prophets, so (laughs) buckle up. Um, We, as a church, we've been going through the book of Matthew in a series we've called Following the King. And for the last several months, we've been in this section of the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is a pretty significant portion of Jesus' teaching in his life on earth. And where we're at is towards the end of this this sermon. He's he's coming into the conclusion of his message. So we're going to pick up there in a second. If uh, you're a note taker and you want to write down the title for this message, it I've titled it, Ravenous Wolves and Rotten Fruit. So, Ravenous Wolves, Rotten Fruit, Happy Baby Dedication Day. (laughs) We're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you can flip there or scroll there, however you do it, or you can just hear me say it to you. Uh, Would you stand with me as we read the scripture for today? These are Jesus' words, and he says... Beware of false prophets. I misled you guys. I'll read it. You guys were doing great. You're so on it. But I'll read it to you. Feel free to say it in your heart. Sorry. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father, thank you for your presence here with us. Would you come and dwell among us? Would you speak to us and move in our midst today? Would you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So one night long ago, in a small Italian village, a nefarious plot was hatched in the dark corner of a local tavern. A mysterious man who worked in human trafficking joined forces with a notorious con man, and he recruited him into his evil scheme. They planned to lure young boys away from their families and sell them into servitude. Their tactic was to coax the young boys away by promising them a life of delight and amusement, a place where they could do and say whatever they wanted. No rules, no restrictions. Many young boys fell victim to this plot. They were enticed by the pleasure, but it was simply a bait and switch. The longer they stayed in this almost magical place, the more they lost themselves in the perceived joy around them. All the while, they were being groomed for a life of slavery. Unbeknownst to them, minute by minute, they were slowly being turned into donkeys. 
If you haven't caught it yet, that's part of the plot line to Pinocchio. Now, I currently have a three-year-old, so a lot of the Disney classics are living rent-free in my head as I've had to watch them several times. And it's crazy the things you'll learn about Disney movies. They're pretty dark. <laughs> uh, but I share this story because this very thing is actually happening in our culture today. And each one of us is the target of a plot to lure us away into someone else's design for our life. Now you may think, I'd never fall for something like that, especially, you know, Pleasure Island and whatever in Pinocchio. And, you know, if you're not a 10-year-old boy in the 1940s, you likely wouldn't have fallen for that plot because the plan wasn't for you. But that's the thing about a well-thought-through plot is that often the target doesn't realize they're the target until it's too late. Just like in fishing, you use different bait and different lures to catch different types of fish. And believe me, there are people in the world using the right bait to catch you. Quietly enticing us to follow the way that they have prepared for us, the life that they've set out for us. Often targeting our desires, our needs, weaknesses, points of pain, greatest insecurities, all drawing us in to say, come follow my way. Come do life the way I have set out for you. But Jesus is so aware of this reality that as he comes to the conclusion of this monumental and paradigm-shifting sermon on what it means to be his disciple, he warns his followers to stay alert. Last week, Van spoke on the wide and the narrow path, and, and that's like Jesus' introduction to his conclusion. And, and he warns his followers with this sense of urgency, make sure you enter through the narrow gate, instructing his followers that as they live against the grain of culture and the world, they will experience trouble and hardship along the way. And then he continues in our passage, beware of false prophets, John Mark Comer, who's a teacher and speaker that I really admire, describes prophets as a sort of signpost, or perhaps a luminary, pointing the way forward in life, saying, this is the way life is best lived. Biblically, a prophet is one that's pointing the way to God and his way of life, speaking on his behalf, his representative, correcting and rerouting his people when they stray from his path. But then a false prophet um, is someone who speaks authoritatively and misleads people from the way of Jesus. They speak authoritatively and mislead people from the way of Jesus. And it's an important thing to note here that this, these false prophets, this can be intentional or unintentional. They're misleading you in, in their way of life. False prophets themselves can be unaware of the fact that they are a false prophet. And in fact, you don't even need to believe in Jesus or God or believe that you're speaking on behalf of a God to be a false prophet. But more on that in a minute. Jesus is painting this picture for us as he comes to the end of this message where he lays out the image of two roads. 
And he's instructed us as his followers, make sure you stay on the narrow path. Go down this way, enter through the narrow gate. But he warns us, these false prophets standing on the side of the road, signposts pointing in, in one direction or another. They, they look good, they sound smart, they seem well put together, they seem nice enough. They, they appear like sheep, innocent, saying, try this way. Did Jesus really say that? Why don't you try going this way? Why don't you try this thing? Why don't, why don't you take this shortcut here? All the while, they're actually leading us in the way of destruction. Now, when I approached this passage in study this week, my, my first inclination when I read false prophet is that it's describing a person who would assume the role of prophet, and they would say, I am a prophet. Whether that would be you know, the, a prophet of God or a prophet of a God, believing that they speak on behalf of one of those two options. And I believe this passage is speaking to that reality. And I believe that this is just as true today, that there are false prophets trying to lead people in, in not the way of Jesus. But as I studied and listened to other speakers on this topic, I began to wrap my mind around this thought that there are actually functional prophets in our world today that don't necessarily assume the title prophet, that don't necessarily even believe in a God or God or, or anything spiritual like that, but they are literally people pointing the way forward in life saying, I believe this is the way life is best lived. Come follow my way. Perhaps we'd see them as experts in their field of study or people with great influence, professors, politicians, financial analysts, CEOs, gurus, TikTok tarot card readers, social media stars, you know, whatever. Anybody with some kind of platform, signposts pointing the way forward. Here's how you make your first million. Here's how to live out all of your dreams. Here's how to find meaning and, and fulfillment in life. Here's how to clean up your life in three easy steps. But the question is, which way are they pointing? Because remember, as Jesus said, there's actually only two paths. His way and the world's way. And they're everywhere. They're in every sector. They're, you know, pick your poison. Culture, politics, finances, fitness, education, media, religion, spirituality, and the list just goes on. Anywhere where your interest lies, the enemy desires to reroute you from the way of Jesus. And many times their ideas sound good. They sound enticing. They might come off as smart. They look put together. They, they sound easy. But Jesus tells us they're dressed up like sheep, appealing on the surface. They're shiny, good-looking. But on the inside, they're wolves. So it's important that we learn how to spot them. <laughs> but how do we do that if they're in disguise and they're using the right bait to catch us? Well, Jesus tells us you can recognize these false prophets by their fruit. So it's important to answer the question, what is fruit? And if you're like me, maybe you're your first thought towards uh, what fruit is, is are they good or are they bad? Are they a good person or a bad person? And as you think about this, 
a little bit, it doesn't line up. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, then you'd have to immediately admit, well, then I'm a, I'm a bad tree. I produce bad fruit. If, if, if the fruit that we're supposed to look for is, is based on actions, then we're mixed trees at best. Sometimes doing good, sometimes still messing up, doing bad, falling short, sinning. And besides, my understanding of the gospel is that I was a bad tree producing bad fruit in my life. And then I encountered Jesus and he changed me. And he changed my DNA and and I joined his family and, and he said, now you're a good tree and go produce good fruit for me. And so fruit can't simply be just are they good or are they bad? And especially because when we fall into that, these false prophets use that as a tactic. Well, you know, I, I look like a nice guy, seem pretty nice. From what you can see on my Instagram feed, I, you know, I love my family and I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? But perhaps fruit is their doings in life. They're like the, the production, the, you know, they make a lot of money or, or lots of people attend their church or they've built a successful business or they, you know, everybody listens to their podcast or has read their book. But just a few verses after this, we just read that there will be people who stand before Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, we did so many good things in your name. We did this big stuff. And he'll say, that's not what I'm looking for. And so outward expressions of success can't simply be the fruit that we're supposed to be on the lookout for. One commentator says, fruit is their manner of living, content of teaching, and the effect of their teaching. We need to ask ourselves questions like, how are their relationships, their spouse or their kids, their friends, their employees, you know, maybe they built an empire and seem successful, but at what cost? How do they treat people? Are they people of character? You know, how often does the guy advertising the course on make your first million the way I did also mention that, well, while I was making my first million, I lost my marriage and cheated a bunch of people and I'm estranged from my family and friends? Is their teaching just flashy? Does it sound nice? Or does it actually contain wisdom? Does it actually produce any change in your life or in the lives of other people? You know, people would often say of Jesus as he was teaching, it was like they'd elbow each other, like, who is this guy? He teaches with real authority. Like there was weight to his words, to the things that he said, and people would just hang on to every last thing that he said, and it actually caused change in their lives. We, we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount over the last several months, and I, every week I sit in here and I hear one of these messages, and, and it's never easy. <laughs> Every, every time, it's like, oh, I need to grow there. Oh, I need to tweak this thing. Oh, I need to stop this. And it's been kind of painful. And, and, and sometimes that's like, that's the fruit of good teaching, is that, that it actually causes you to look at yourself and change something, to, to live differently in response. And many of these false prophets, they teach things we simply want to hear. You know, they, they, they play on these desires that we have. They're, they're confirming things that we want to be true but aren't necessarily truth. Like, of course I'd love for it to be easy to make a million dollars. Like, what? You know? 
Another thing, be on the lookout for the fruit of the Spirit in them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This fruit that comes only from being in the presence of the Holy Spirit, being, being with Jesus, and which of course is the ultimate fruit. Do they look more and more like Jesus as they progress through their lives? Because sometimes we make this mistake to believe that following Jesus is a Sunday morning thing. You attend church, hear the message, maybe put my hands up during worship, whatever, and we'll just keep it in that box. And then what we do is we'll go out and we'll say, well, yeah, you know, Jesus is good for my spiritual life maybe, but I need some different advice on my marriage, and I need different advice on business and finance and, and, and how to deal with my friends and, and how to raise my kids and, and all this stuff. But the reality is, is that following Jesus is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's, it's, it's an all-encompassing thing. It's an entire life, everything, every area life-impacting thing. The gospel means good news. And sometimes we, we shortchange it, and we believe, well, it's, it's good news for my spiritual life. It's good news for my Sunday morning, unless you really like to sleep in, then maybe it's bad news for you. Um, I thought that was funnier than you guys did, but that's okay. You know, or maybe it's, it's good news for my end of life. But the reality is Jesus is good news for everything. He's good news for your parenting. He's good news for your job. He's good news for your leadership, for your, for your finances, for your, for your family, for, for your friendships, for every, like, every area of your life Jesus can touch and wants to influence and, and do amazing things. He wants to infect every area of your life with his abundant life that he's promised to those who would follow him. And so we need to be mindful of the fruit being produced from the people and ideas we give influence to in our lives. We live in this digital age where anybody can say anything at any time and anyone can hear it. Like we're just constantly being pounded by sound bites of this person said that and this person thinks this. And we can see a 60-second soundbite of someone, and they can say whatever they want, and they can doctor it up and make it look good and sound pretty and, and, and use fancy transitions and, and, and whatever to attract us to it. But in Jesus' time, it, you could follow Jesus, but it wasn't like on Twitter. Like, you, you know, he's standing here giving the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know, what, maybe you went and ate lunch next. And everybody there could have just followed him. And and they walk with him from town to town, and they see the way that he interacts with people. They see the way that that he speaks kindly to to people he encounters on the road. They see the way that he breaks up fights between his disciples whenever they start running off at the mouth. And they, they could actually see the fruit of his life, not just simply the his 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 stage life, his teaching life, the, the big miraculous moments of his life. But they, they saw the bathroom breaks on the side of the road. But not every influencer and New York Times bestseller or podcaster is actually producing the kind of fruit 
that you want to see in your life. There's this leadership principle that says you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. The voices we listen to will reproduce themselves in us, in the way we think, in the way we act. Ultimately, like produces like, and you become like who you listen to. For most of my life, like zero to 22, I probably used the word y'all less than five times. Then I met this wonderful lady from Virginia. We got married five and a half years in. I say y'all like I'm a farmer from Alabama. <laughs> it's, it's part of my daily vernacular at this point. Compulsive almost. If there's a group of people, I'm just itching to say y'all. <laughs> I can't tell you how many group texts or, or group emails I've started, hey y'all, and then gone back to edit, hey guys. Hey, everyone. Now, this is a silly example, but you get my point. We become like who we give influence to. There, at no point in my life was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a yaller. In fact, I actively tried to resist it, but here we are. But there's an urgency in this text to own what we allow to influence us. Because everything that comes in can be a signpost pointing us on the way of Jesus or away from it. And not every seemingly good idea is a good God idea or a way of Jesus idea. As the text continues, apparently it's possible to get to the end of this whole thing and when we stand before Jesus, false prophet or not, be turned away. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will get in. Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Like these are things that we would associate with like power Christians, like, like the good stuff. And they don't get in? It's important to know Jesus is speaking to a people who believe that doing great things for God was the same thing as being close with him. They put a lot of weight in what they did. View. They believe that authority and notoriety or spiritual power, mighty works, as he just referenced, was evidence of God's blessing and approval on them. And many of these religious leaders and teachers would perhaps over-exaggerate or, or point back, well, you know, I did that thing, and I'm really big and mighty, and God must really love me. And he's saying, some of you will stand here, and you'll be like, God, look at all the good stuff I did. And he'll say, that's not what I was looking for. And I do want to say, I don't think that he's denouncing or invalidating prophecy or casting out demons or these mighty works. It's literally right after the sermon, he does a bunch of mighty works. Like he, he just starts healing people all over the place and this crazy stuff is happening. And, and a few chapters later, he sends out a bunch of the guys that were sitting here listening to this message to go and do those same things, to heal people and cast out demons. And uh, first he sends 12 and then he sends 72 after that. And there's this really interesting exchange that he has with these 72 when they return. And they're like really excited. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, look. I, you know, we, three demons here, they, they got out when we said go. And, and this kid got healed. And, and you know, like they're just, you know, recounting all the, the victory and, and the amazing things that they had done. And 
And, you know, for a second, Jesus is like maybe high-fiving him. Yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It was cool. I've given you all this power. But then in Luke 10, 20, he says this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So there's something more Jesus is looking for than just the external doings of life. And if he were here talking to us, he could have just have easily said, some of you will say, Lord, Lord, we built great church organizations and went on mission trips in your name. Lord, Lord, I tithe sometimes and attended church a few times a month except during football season in your name. Or, Lord, Lord, I, just, I did all the things. I, I read my Bible at Starbucks with a latte or at least took a picture of it to post it on Instagram so that everybody thought I did, in your name. <laughs> N.T. Wright says this. Some, it seems, will have done remarkable things in Jesus' name. Mighty deeds are not a final indication of whether someone really belongs to Jesus or not. Following Jesus is not about looking like a follower of Jesus. Two things he says in this passage that I want to point out to you. The first one says, The one who enters is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And when he turns people away, he says, I never knew you. So the will of the Father sounds like a pretty big piece of this puzzle. That if we, we want to stand before Jesus and not be turned away, that, that we should probably understand his will, right? <laughs> Another commentator, R.T. France, says, Doing the will of my Father in heaven is not merely ethical category. Are they good or bad? They will also, that will also includes know and be known by Jesus the Lord. Or even beyond ethical category, it's not ex uh, charismatic expression, healing and prophecy and why well, speak in tongues so many hours a day or whatever it is that you do. These, these things are not simply the will of God. Now Jesus, as he walked around through life, you know, he said, anyone who sees me sees the Father. And so as we see the way Jesus lives, we get actually a picture of what God's will is, what he's like what he desires from, from his people. But on some occasions, Jesus would actually explicitly say, this is the will of my Father. And one of those times where he really clearly says it is in John 6, 40, and he says this, for this is the will of my Father. So our ears should perk up if we're like, I don't want to miss the boat on his will. Let's, let's listen to this. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now this word believes here. It's a Greek word that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And the, the biblical definition for this word, the way it's being used here, goes like this. It's to have a faith directed unto, believing or in faith, to give oneself up to. So it's to actually put your trust in him. To it's, it's to get so close that you actually give yourself over to him. That he's not a backup plan, a safety net, or fire insurance. 
but that he's actually plan A, that it's full-on commitment to give yourself over to him. There's no half in, half out. It's you're in or you're not. Has anybody here ever been on a zip line? With a zip line, you know, you get your harness on. It's pretty uncomfortable in my experience, but you have to do it. And, uh, you, you know, you get to the top of the tower or wherever the start of your zip line is, and, and you're looking out over everything that you're about to hopefully swing over. And they, you know, they clip you in with this, these big carabiners, and you're all, like, hooked, and, hooked up and attached. And, and maybe you've seen a few people go, go through it, and you're like, okay, I know that this can hold me. That guy was a little bit bigger than me. I'm probably good. I didn't like how that post at the end was swinging when he came through, but, you know, whatever, we're going to try it. But, like, imagine you get up to the top, and you've got your harness on, you're all latched in, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I trust this. This is definitely going to work. But then you're like, but, you know, I don't need to find out. <laughs> so you unclip, and you just kind of carry on with your life. Like, you didn't actually trust in your harness. But actually trusting in your harness would be to jump off fully committed, knowing I'm either going to be carried by this thing or I'm going to hit the ground. There's no half in or half out on a zip line. And it's the same way with following Jesus, that you, you're like, I'm in or you're not. One author, Mike Breen, says, we are human beings, not human doings. It's not just about doing the things but it's about being with him. The problem is doing without knowing. It's as if Jesus is looking for good friends rather than good employees. It's not that he's saying, go do these good things so that you earn favor and standing with me. But it's that from a place of relationship, this is a relational thing. It's from knowing Jesus, from having been with him, seeing what he's like, that we then get to go and do awesome stuff for him and with him. It's not for relationship or approval. It's from relationship. And there's this massive relational component here. You know, as you read the passage, you can feel the relational sting in the phrase, I never knew you. Often I would read this passage like Jesus with, you know, arms crossed, angry, finger wagging, like, get out of here, I never knew you. But as I've like spent more time studying and and, and just getting to know Jesus, I have a feeling that it's more like with tears in his eyes. I never knew you. Imagine trying to go to Joe Burrow's house. Does anybody know where he lives? All right. Somehow you manage to get to his door, and you, you knock on the door, and you're lucky enough. Joe is home, so it must not be a Sunday. And, and he opens the door, probably confused, because who are you? And you, you, know, you start in, Joe, I know you. I know your stats. I, you know, I know where you're from. I've been following your career from back when you were the Buckeyes, and I thought you should have started. You know, I, I, 
I know where your parents live, and that's only a little creepy. I know your favorite color, you know, whatever. Like, you're just going on about the stuff you know about this guy. And you say, can I come in? And he's going to look at you and say, no, I don't know you. But Joe, I know so much about you. Knowing a lot about someone is not the same as knowing someone. So whether it's better discerning false prophets around you or being a true disciple, as N.T. Wright says, what counts is knowing Jesus, or rather being known by him. In other words, it's about knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus. And as you know him and he knows you, you start to grow. Things start to shift in your life. You start to grow in discernment and you start to pick out those voices that are influencing you that you've given weight to in your life and, and realizing like, actually, I don't know that that's actually producing the kind of fruit in me that I want here. And as you know him, you start to look more and more like him. You start to become like him. You start to produce the kind of good fruit that he's looking for in your life. You start to do those mighty works from your relationship with him, not to prove that you have one. Following Jesus is to know and be known by him. The closest I ever came to losing my faith was during my freshman year of college. It was first semester and it was at Bible college, of all places, to lose your faith. And I was reading the Bible more than ever. I was writing papers, I was reading books, going to classes, doing all the stuff. And I learned more about the Bible and about Jesus than I ever had in my entire life. But the problem was that I felt more disconnected from him than ever before. I was learning a lot about him, but I didn't know him. And it, it led me to this kind of place of desperation where I was kind of asking this question, is this it? Is this all there is to this thing? Classes and reading and papers and, is, like, is that what I signed up for? And on top of that, I wasn't living a life consistent with the way of Jesus. I was, li I was, I was on the wide path. And I just, like, I was crushed. I felt so dry. I felt dead inside. I got to this point, end of my rope, so desperate, I thought, maybe I'll try this prayer thing. And I prayed the simple prayer, God, if you're there, I need you to speak to me. I can, I could take you to the exact spot that I was when I said that on my campus. It was probably around 7 a.m., walking down one of the main drives, walking around praying on campus. And I said, God, if you're there, I need you to speak to me. And in a moment, like I had never heard before in my life, he answered my prayer. And it wasn't this like big audible voice, the heavens didn't open, like it was just like, I saw this image in my mind and it was kind of one of those, it's like, wow, I'd, like that didn't come from me. And he spoke to me, he write to my specific circumstance in a way that I had never experienced in my entire life. 
to the point where I was like, what did I even believe before this? Four years of Bible college and all, all the classes, 20 plus years of fairly consistent church attendance. I've probably heard thousands of sermons, hundreds in this room. Listened to podcasts, read books, gone to conferences, had one-on-one meetings with pastors and teachers and, and whoever. And all of it's, you know, it's, it's been pretty good. It's all been helpful in my discipleship to Jesus. But it's all been way more focused on knowing about him. Because the thing I've learned is that no speaker, no book, no podcast can make you know him. It's a choice that we have to make. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with intellectually engaging with our faith, and, and we need to do that. It's important, it's good, it's healthy and helpful. But all of those things have nothing on the quiet moments where I'm sitting there and I say, Jesus, I need to hear you. And he shows up. Where I'm with him and he's with me. And he says, son. In a way that, that no class has ever touched my heart. The reality is God desires to know you. Following Jesus isn't just a set of beliefs. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's truly a living relationship. In a couple minutes, we're going to go into a time of worship. So band, if you guys could start making your way out here. As we land this plane, I just want to end with some thoughts on how we can respond to this message. Say, first thing, take inventory of the voices you are allowing to have influence in your life and in the way you think. Are these the people that you want to become like? Not like just on the surface, but on the inside. When the cameras are off, when the microphones are off, when the lights are gone, is the kind of person they are the kind of person you want to be? If you're thinking, well, you know, I can't get close enough to to find that. Well, it might be worth considering, are they worth following then? More importantly, which path are they pointing you towards? Is it the way of Jesus, the narrow path, or is it the way of the world? Second thing, if following Jesus is knowing and being known by him, how do you actually come to get to know him is, I think, an important question that we should answer. I think it's fairly simple, but it's not easy. That it it takes time, it takes commitment, it takes follow through. It's just like any other relationship in your life. You have to actually spend time with him. You have to give up other things that you want to do to be with him. You have to make him a priority in your life to, to truly be with him. You know, one of, uh, one of our youth leaders spoke last week at our, our youth gathering, and uh, this was the main point of her message. She said, you can be as close to God as you choose to be. And that's a scary thought. Because what that means is that wherever you're at with God right now, 
is more the product of your choosing than God's. Now, I don't want to discount the fact that, that people in here have been through hard things, that you've had bad experiences at church or with leaders, or perhaps you had a bad example set for you, or you know, whatever the thing is. And I recognize that, that those things can serve to bump us away from the way of Jesus. But in the end, we have to recognize those negative experiences aren't him. And he's way better than that. And he's got more for us than that. And you know, there's many ways that you can go about spending time with Jesus. There's books and podcasts and you know, whatever. Find someone in your life who you admire, the, like their faith and, and the way that they follow Jesus. Ask them, what do you do? How do you spend time with Jesus? And, and you know, in short, most of them are gonna point back to kind of the two, you know, the meat and potatoes, read your Bible and pray. And it's just different ways of doing it and, and practicing those things. And so just to kind of share, one of the things that I've found a lot of life in right now with, with how I've been reading my Bible is I'll you know, pick whatever passage I'm going to read, and I will read until something just like stands out, until something hits me. A word, a phrase, a whole verse, something that maybe my eyes keep jumping to it. Maybe I've read past it, but I keep like going back to it. Something that's like really hitting me. And I'm, I'm just taking that as I think maybe God's trying to say something to me through this. And I'll just stop right there. And I'll write down that verse. I'll, I'll you know, write it two or three times. I'll write it in, uh, I'll try to write it in cursive. I'll try to write it not cursive, whatever that's called. And, uh, and I'll, I'll say it or I'll, I'll think on it. I'll, I'll read it in different translations and, and I'll just kind of sit with this passage and, and I'll journal about it and I'll let God just speak to me whatever it is that he has for me. And I'll give him space to speak. I'll say, God, will you speak to me through this? What are you saying? And I'll just kind of let that like marinate for the day. And that's really given me a lot of life in my life with Jesus lately. Lastly, that for each of us, we need to respond to what Jesus is inviting you into. If you're in this room, he is inviting you into something. He always is. And I can't tell you what it is. The person sitting next to you can't tell you what it is. That, that's a you and him thing, is seeking it out with him. Jesus, what are you inviting me into in this life? And I encourage you, figure that out. Because that will bring so much life to you. And wherever you are on this journey, there is more. There's always more in knowing Him. There are always greater depths to this relationship. Whether you're brand new, just starting out, following Jesus, there is so much more for you. Whether you've been following Jesus for 80 years, you only, like, know a little bit more about him than the person that just started yesterday. Like, there's so much more. Maybe if you've been stalled out in your faith and, and you just kind of sat, he's got more for you. He's not giving up on you. He, he's inviting you into life with him. So don't miss that chance to respond to him. We're going to go into worship. Would you stand with me? I just want to pray for us for a second. Feel free to strike whatever receiving posture works best for you. Hands out, hands up. 
or just continue looking at me angrily, that works too. It's usually what my youth do. And I just wanna invite the presence of God to come and just do whatever he wants to do. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Would you come and speak to us? Lord, would you reveal in us whatever it is that you're inviting us into next? Thank you, Lord, that we can know you. We ask that you would increase in our lives. And that anyone who would would say, I want to know you, would you answer them? And that's all you have to do. Just say, Lord, I want to know you. And I guarantee he will start moving in your life. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you and we honor you. Amen.